0: Yeah, yeah. So the only thing I've got that I am keeping an eye on is my son, who uh, is currently sleeping.
1: Okay. So
0: uh, hopefully he, uh,
1: he stays down. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. I was looking forward to like hanging out with him. Like you know what I mean? And we can both. All, I, I know. Three dudes I talking know. about Charles Barkley. <laughs> like that happens all the time in America, right? I know. I know. Welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. I am not a role model. Unan. <laughs> that was an excellent audio clip from the classic Charles Barkley night commercial from 1993. NBA player Charles Barkley argued that athletes should not be considered role models. Rather, parents should, you know, raise their own kids. This debate still rages on like the Springfield tire fire on The Simpsons. Charles Barkley's 16-year NBA career effectively ended on December 8, 1999 with a left knee injury. And as my guest Timothy Bella points out, he remains wildly popular thanks to his often funny, usually irreverent work as a basketball analyst on what is considered the greatest sports show, not basketball show, sports show on television, Inside the NBA. Barkley joined Inside the NBA in 2000. At that point, it was just Ernie Johnson, the closest replacement to Mr. Rogers humanity could muster, and Kenny the Jet Smith, another retired NBA player. It's been two wonderful decades of Barkley on TV, which means there's an entire generation who do not know who he was as a player. Q Barkley, a biography written by Timothy Bella, a staff writer for The Washington Post. Yeah, how cool is that? That's not a typical sports writer. I value that outsider perspective because it makes it easier to step back and see the whole of Barkley's careers, plural, and life. Typically in a sports biography, you expect to hear from people associated with the player, you know, coaches, other teammates, maybe even sports journalists. But to give you a sense of how radical Barkley's life has been, yeah, Timothy Bella interviewed the expected people, but he also talked to Conan O'Brien, Roy Wood Jr., Chuck D, Billy Crystal, and DJ Jazzy Jeff. When have you ever heard or seen those prominent creators listed together? (laughs) Like, yo. And as you hear in our conversation, it all makes sense. This My Summer Later interview was so fun. I like Barkley a lot, and I appreciate that Tim's book humanizes Barkley. All too often, he's classified or dismissed as the TV big mouth. And he is, and I enjoy that part of him. Barclay's comments, the ones that go viral like that Nike role model commercial, serve as a constant and inspiring reminder. Sacred cows make delicious hamburgers. And if you know Barclay, then you know he's always hungry. Food is a fantastic way to kick off my conversation with Timothy Bella, specifically barbecue. Here's the first My Summer Lair episode that requires a bib.
0: Sound, the final frontier. My Summer Lair is an enterprise A pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And
1: now here is your
0: host, Sammy Yunan.
1: I'm ready to go. If you're ready to go to talk about Charles Wade Barkley. I'm good to go, man. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start here. Charles Barkley. He was born and raised in Leeds, Alabama. We're starting really from the beginning. Obviously, you did a lot of research for your Barkley book. Uh, The book is just called Barkley. But there's one part of your Leeds research I want to focus on. How is the barbecue in Leeds, Alabama?
0: Oh, man. It's so good. Uh, And as someone who grew up in Texas, I have very high standards for barbecue. This is what I'm
1: getting into. Yeah. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. Their pork is good. Now, a beef in Texas will always the be best in my opinion but once you get to get into the southeast it's really about pork and they know how to do it right so uh that and they've got some really good pies there there's uh there's a a banana pie there especially that mm. is just absolutely fantastic yeah so highly Recommended <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you're talking about like pork, you're talking about like ribs or pulled pork, or what exactly are you talking about?
0: Pulled pork and ribs, they're am uh, um, specifically the uh, the ribs are, are really top notch, but uh, yeah, no, I uh, I got pulled pork my first time there and then ribs, the f- yes, second time, but I did get pie both times, so I'm a snuff that so
1: All right. it's good. Yeah. (laughs) See, this is a good tip because like future journalists might be listening to this and they're like, I don't know if I should write a book or whatever. And like people overlook the barbecue aspect of like writing a sports book.
0: Yes. Yes. No, it's very important. If you are in the South and working on a book, be sure to know the best barbecue place around. (laughs) This one in Leeds is called Rusty's Barbecue. So Mm -hmm. shout out to them.
1: By the way, before we kind of get deeper into your Barkley book, what are your barbecue sides? So as you said you got some ribs, what are your sides?
0: Um I usually tended to stick with if there is a good barbecue bean, I really like that as well. I'm also a uh, potato salad guy too, but it's got to be right. Yeah, if, it, if, if because I've had thought a bad head potato salad in my life. Uh, so they've they, they got to get that right. And there's hope it's got to be a pickle bar too. If, if there are no onions or pickles or extra bread included, I will always be skeptical about that.
1: So. Okay. These are good tips. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like we're learning a lot. That's the whole point of an interview, right? Is to like learn <laughs> things.
0: So Owen no just cast me about barbecue through this entire stretch, so thank you very much for that, Sarah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah,
1: you. I mean, like, I've never been to Leeds, Alabama, but I've been to like uh, Nashville, like I've been to like Dallas, uh, Austin, San Antonio, like. So uh, I just wanted to kind of like start like you can't just talk about places like this. Like, I know you're from Texas, and like you obviously did some time in Leeds, Alabama for this book. You can't just brush over the barbecue part. Like, this is this is vital
0: it's crucial yeah no you should always know of like what they are good at too like i i knew this place was good for their pork their ribs and Mm -hmm. you just got to take advantage of it because i live outside dc and it's just there's nothing here
1: I've been to D.C. as well, and it is disappointing for the barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) After having been to places like in Texas and like Nashville, as I said, D.C. is a little disappointing for uh, barbecue. Sure is. But let's move off from barbecue. We can return back to it if you want at the end. But for now, um, I recently read Jeff Perlman's Bo Jackson book, uh, The Last Folk Hero. Uh, Bo, of course, shows up a couple of times, more than a few times, actually, in your Barclay book. So, Jeff's bio is mostly, like, a serious book, right? Bo had to overcome poverty and different setbacks to, like, finally arrive in the NFL and the MLB. Your sports bio, Barkley, it's really funny. Like, Charles Barkley's nicknames alone are, like, amazing. <laughs> were you laughing at all when you wrote Got this so book? Yeah, Yeah, were you laughing when you wrote this book and had to include all these, like, wacky and funny, goofy nicknames?
0: Yeah, and... I think that's what um, if he's partially drew me to Chuck, is that for so long he has been, this character has taken on so many different names. I mean, he's he's Ali or Apollo Creed in <laughs> some ways, and that he, he has more names than just about anyone mm-hmm. I know. But yeah, it's... It, you, and you think of Charles Barkley, one of the first things you probably think of is fun. And and it's one of my goals in this book was to uh, take everybody back to see how he got to be that funny and how he kind of embraced it. Because at first, with his weight in Leeds, in Auburn, even in philadelphia he really did just kind of shy away from uh just being known as this fat guy Mm -hmm. and i i think of eventually once he started to get attention for uh just how incredible he was he knew that that people would be even more interested in a guy who Looked like them who enjoyed pizza even more than the average person <laughs> who who just loved eating and was full of life mm. and other foods. So <laughs> I, I do think that that was at least one goal in this book was to just have fun with it because naturally Charles Barkley – is a very fun and funny guy, unlike maybe a Bo Jackson. And I I agree, that book is fantastic. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they were two very different people, though for sure.
1: Yeah, that's why I paralleled them. And like two of the names that we're talking about that really cracked me up, and I never heard these in terms of uh, Barkley <laughs> until I read your fantastic book was. Don Rickles of basketball, which is that's perfect. Like if you know who Don Rickles is, that's, that should be on Charles Barkley's business card. And the other one was Fred Astaire and Orson Welles's body, which again, (laughs) is like that is spot on. Like if you, cause I've seen him play in Philadelphia and in the Suns, and he exactly was Fred Astaire and Orson Welles's body.
0: Yeah. That's a, it's a really good one. He just, um, he, embrace those names too. And I uh, you know even at times when the uh, 76ers would uh, have these promos at their home games where fans who weighed over 250 pounds got in for free. Um, <laughs> and that's a real thing, by yeah. the way, that did happen his first couple of years. Even when that happened he was able to embrace it at that point because he knew that he was on to something uh just kind of being this common man in a sport where you see these guys just running up and down uh these freak athletes who are all in shape and then you see this guy who it don't get me wrong it, 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 for m- most standards credibly in shape as far as a runner goes, but you see him at the first and you're like, how the hell is that guy doing that? How is he <laughs> mm-hmm. skying over dudes who are six inches taller and just slam dunking on everyone and cussing them out? Mm-hmm. And it, like, how is he doing that? So he definitely had in, appeal for his game but his weight and his body type just added to that physique especially early on sammy
1: to me reading your book and like especially as you're going through college um as you said they kind of highlighted his weight once he got to the sixers they started highlighting his weight again like all those charles barkley nicknames to me that was the trailer Right? He was difficult to sum up. And I know a lot of them kinda of centered around his weight, but it was also just about his skill, the round mound of rebounds and things like that as well. Like he was difficult to just like he's this one guy. Like Mr. T's easy to sum up. He's just this dude with chains, right? He's Mr. T. But with Barkley, uh, he's hard, difficult to sum up. And we've seen that with his TNT work and some of the comments he's made over the years. Not even just about the black stuff, but just like about the, the big old women in like San Antonio. Like he's not easy to put into this box and all those nicknames to me were the trailer. Like you can kind of see where he was where he was gonna head or where he was gonna evolve to based on the, the variety of the nicknames because we've never seen something like that before. Yeah, it's no
0: secret that he has oh has been one entertaining, two, he clo speak his mind, and three he's gonna make headlines. Like if, as a reminder to everyone he hasn't picked up a basketball or played in a basketball ball game since 2000. We're talking over two decades ago and he is as relevant and as popular now than he, he ever has been. Which is um, crazy. And yeah, yeah. And you know, I know I do think of part of that is honesty and the fact that him and this, American public, it's worldwide public has this relationship with Charles that since his time at Auburn is now at almost four decades. And I do think that if people have a, a good understanding of who he is and where he comes from. And when he says things, he mostly comes from this place of love instead of hate um now don't get me wrong he screws up and he screws up mm-hmm. a lot and he does offend people whether it be uh when it comes to the hack lives matter movement or police brutality or as you mentioned earlier with the uh the women of san antonio yeah the
1: um big old
0: woman, he, yeah. yeah and, and like It's funny for a lot of people, but if you're not in on that joke, you you would be like, "How is he still getting away with all of this stuff and hasn't been canceled yet? Or, or how does he keep bouncing back?" And I do think it, it and the trust that the public has in Charles Barkley and that he does really care about people and. He doesn't mean harm, at least most of the time. And uh, that he has really taken on his role as everybody's crazy uncle who will say Mm. and do things that are going to offend you, that are just flat out wrong, but you're always going to come back to him because uh, there is a feeling of love there.
1: I don't know if you watch Marvel movies or anything like that. You're, I know your son is still a little young. I now, do, but he reminds yeah, me of Loki, <laughs> right? <laughs> the the same kind of like mischief. Yeah. The the same like you're not really quite sure what side he's on. Um, the way that like Thor will sometimes say like, "Yeah, that guy's my brother," and then when somebody brings up Loki's record, he's like, "Well, he's adopted brother." You know what I mean? Like, there's a little distance. Is like because you can kind of see that with like Kenny sometimes, with, like. Yeah, like, Charles is my brother. Well, adopted brother. You know what I mean? Like, there's that little gap or that little distance that he's got to put in. And that's what he reminds me of. It's kind of like Loki.
0: That's very fair, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, as you know, when he first got introduced to Loki, you know he we were mostly uh, doing him as the antagonist, mm-hmm. obviously, in you know, Avengers 1. That uh, he was a, a big bad there, and, and then over time, we just got to of him, and he became one of us. And right. I, I do think, in some ways, that Charles is like that. I, I I don't think it took people as long to actually get there, just because um, once he got over just being so angry toward his father and angry toward his high school teachers who failed him and forced him to uh, not walk at his graduation. Once he, he finally let go of that anger years into his NBA life, he he was finally able to fully embrace his funny and jovial, Mm-hmm. side that we had seen of him in spurts. Um, I do think f- following the instant in which he accidentally spit on a small girl in mm-hmm. New Jersey, uh, th- that was an event he almost did not come back from. He felt like he's, his career was in jeopardy at that point in time, and he t- had to Really re-examined himself and figure out, you know, am I going to be this angry for the rest of my life? And once he realized that he could have let go of that anger, then we were able to fully get to Charles Barkley that we have come to know and love and who we've watched every week on TV for the last two plus decades. But he was not always that way. though.
1: Yeah. And not just the the fun and the jovial Barkley, but also he's an authentic Barkley as well. What I'm thinking of is that classic uh, Nike commercial. I loved it when I was in high school. I'm not a role model. Mm -hmm. And he basically was saying, uh, I'm not a role model. I'm just paid to wreak havoc on the basketball floor parents should be role model he put it back on the kids so you did even devote a whole chapter to this nike ad um and some of the controversy that kind of created and some of the friction that it caused within the black communities and all kinds of things like that can you just unpack a little bit of how this nike ad came to be
0: yeah so uh, there are two origins to this story uh, uh charles said that it it is something he went to Howard White at Nike about uh this idea for if the actual ad itself. So if that is Charles's his way of saying it. But uh, Jim Riswald, who was the creative genius at this uh firm in Portland, uh that Nike used for these ads said that that he saw a version of this quote that Charles had said Mm -hmm. that same year and he was struck by it. And then he came up with the idea and presented it to Charles. So there are these two countering stories here, but whoever is right, I, created this ad that at that time resonated so much with the public because it came at a time when Charles Barkley was in the middle of the, the finest year of his NBA life. Not only did he win a gold medal in mm-hmm. Barcelona, but he won the MVP in Phoenix and, and he he led that team to the NBA finals. So he was at the peak of his powers. This guy who was probably number two behind Michael Jordan in a pecking order Mm -hmm. at that time. And here he is in a Nike ad saying, you might hook up to me, but I am not your damn role model. Mm. And that really struck a chord with so many people who for, for for years and decades have thought of our sports heroes as the ultimate role models for, for children. And I do understand where he was trying to, to come from here because he has often said that families should ultimately be the, the first role model for Any child growing up, not an athlete who is prone Mm -hmm. to screw up who who you don't know either. So I do understand where he was coming from, but boy, he started he started a culture where Mm -hmm. before culture (laughs) were actually a thing. Yeah. Because now you had people just on on, both sides of this debate, just going back and forth about the role of an athlete. Uh, uh, Carl Malone even wrote an article in Sports Illustrated saying uh, athletes should be role models. Like, as uh, President Dan Quayle was very s- supportive of Charles at the, that point in time. Like it it turned into just a clash. And Charles did not expect to face that much blowback from it. But um, with hindsight being what it is, how could you not expect it? I mean, that's something that was going to happen no matter what, but mm. Charles has always said that he, that that role model ad is still one of the. Uh, it's the thing he is the most proud of in his NBA life, and people are still you. talking about it today. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it's incredible. It's a black and white ad that mm-hmm. lasts uh, under twenty seconds, mm-hmm. and uh, here you are still talking about it. So it's it, it's really a credit. To him, that three decades later, people are still talking about his role model ad.
1: Yeah, just to give it some context of what you're talking about, like um Kyrie recently got in trouble for posting an anti-Semitic uh, documentary, and there was a lot of fallout for it. And obviously, this is completely different because it was it's an- related to anti-Semitism. So I get that part of it. But one of the things that was interesting was that like people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and others we're still writing articles today that like Kyrie's a role model and he shouldn't be posting these things. And like, he should be a pillar of like, because he's a basketball player and like he, the kids are looking up to him. I'm like, we're still like, you know what I mean? Like still going through this cycle of like, what kind of impact like does the athlete have for the kids? And like, they got to be a good person and like all this kind of stuff. And like the end of that Nike ad, uh, I'm not a role model that Charles Barkley did was like, I am paid to wreck havoc on the basketball floor. That's the one of the lines that he has in there, and he's right. Like he was never paid to do. Like he had like weight clauses, obviously, but there's no like general like morality clauses or like you know like if you get divorced, like you're a bad role model. You know what I mean? Like you lose a certain amount of money or whatever. Like there aren't those kind of things in there that like they paid him to do basketball, and he was really good at it. And sometimes we kind of forget. And we try to, like you were saying, like put all this kind of extra pressure or extra like weight on these athletes to like be these like super duper like morality Mr. Rogers types when they're not.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And for uh, uh, the record, I do think athletes have a responsibility of if someone wants to look at them. As a role model, that should be accepted because it, once you hit a certain point and you are a public figure mm-hmm. like that, it's part of the job. Right, It's part of the responsibility that you take on. Now, should they be a primary role model? No. I don't think so in that regard. But um, if, if this has been going on for a while. And then people do hook up to these athletes and it, it's going to keep happening that way, whether it's Kyrie or, or anyone else. So if there is that responsibility there, once you become this public figure, um, so it, it's going to keep happening, but I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I do think athletes now have a better understanding of that today, though.
1: And Barkley was especially inspiring to you. Can we go to your childhood, Uh, to little Timothy Bella? (laughs) Why was why did you, as a child, like connect and look up to Charles Barkley?
0: In some ways, he looked like me. He was short. He was fat. He uh, (laughs) basically (laughs) short and fat. And behind you. I'm short, short. I'm like five ten. He's he's still six four and a half. So mm. like, and so for average person standards, I'm still short. But still, um, just being someone who loved basketball and wanted wanted to keep playing basketball, even though I was terrible at basketball, I I knew that I had had to do one thing to. Uh, just kind of stand out, and uh, the one thing I could do was rebound and part because I saw Charles Barkley use his big butt to, to get yes. these rebounds. <laughs> yes. To it, mind you, he could jump in ways that I could only dream of, mm-hmm. but but he, he used his lower body in ways that. I could actually use. So I would see that and I would use that and adapt it to my own game. And it worked out pretty well. So like, and as a big Rockets fan back then, I would see him come in with Phoenix and just boo the absolute hell out of him. Even though I was patterning my game after his and then once he got traded he was my favorite guy Mm -hmm. after that but um yeah so this project started off coming from a place of love and childhood and just uh remembering how much he meant to me back then so that was definitely uh he's part of the inspiration for Why I took on this book and why I wanted to write the most comprehensive biography that's been done Mm -hmm. on him so far.
1: Yeah, we don't, in terms of like NBA analysis on ESPN, TNT, all kinds of places, like we we don't praise the big old butt enough. Like when Luca came into the league, I'm like, that guy has a big old butt. First couple of times I saw him, I'm like, he's gonna be special, (laughs) right? Like, because it clears up so much space. Yeah, yeah, he's thick.
0: He's special now. He's gonna keep being special. Um, I I think the other guy in that same category is probably Zion. It's just a big old butt. Another thick guy who just yeah he's big. And if if you can carry it and mm. still be that special, it, it's even more incredible. Like kind of old. Has been a James Harden fan too. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, he's a thicker dude too. Mm-hmm. So, like, it, it can be done. Um, and in a lot of ways, Charles showed people that it, it's not impossible. You just have to have discipline and you just have to, it's it, it just stay focused. Mm-hmm. And now we see guys like Luca and Zion who are not like uh i know of a, a broad james mm-hmm. in terms of just being that adonis it, but you don't have to be
1: yeah and so that's you as a little kid a little timothy bella looking up to charles barkley and uh you got the big old butt and you're clearing out things and you're getting rebounds which is great i want to connect now you to adult timothy bella uh with barkley because you are not a, traditional sports writer you write for the washington post uh, i've seen articles you've written about alex jones and trump washington post your post bio says you cover national and breaking news policing politics and culture which is exactly what barkley covers on dnd national and breaking news policing politics and culture like you guys are it's walking. Copying the, me. Yeah. yeah you guys are walking the same beat so did you connect or did you bond with Charles Barkley because of these similarities, especially as you got to the later chapters and he's on TNT and kind of talking about these exact same, same things, right? Like national breaking news, policing, politics, and culture. Did you bond or did you connect with Charles Barkley because you walk in the same beat? Yeah. I'm not sure
0: I'd say bond, but I would say there are a lot of similarities in terms of our interests um i will say that that what charles ernie kenny and Shaq have been able to do in terms of talking about things not related to basketball whether it be politics or these brutality or back lives matter has been so important for not just other sports shows but just Everyone in media to see and consume because it shows you that that sports are connected to all of us in in a variety of different ways and when these other topics come up they are inevitably going to come into sports because like I mentioned earlier some of these. Athletes are the biggest role models in the entire world. They are these huge public figures with these huge platforms. And to have someone like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry uh, speaking out on issues not related to basketball, it's big for people who might not be as familiar with what's going on in the world. I mean, if these guys are doing a big to uh, people who don't know uh, or who did not know as much about George Floyd or Mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor, um, it's, it's really important. And I, I think a, a big part of that has come from Inside the NBA, just not being afraid to talk about any of that stuff in those big, big moments. So for me and my work, I've always been interested in that. I, I don't think it goes hand in hand with what uh, has happened on inside, but it is convenient that uh, – that we do overlap on, on these same things though.
1: Yeah, like you you're saying like sports is broader and like you would think a book about Barkley would obviously cover his teammates, uh coaches, people that work in the NBA and all that kind of stuff. But you talk to people like Conan O'Brien, Roy Wood Jr., Roy Wood's hilarious. <laughs> I met this is a tangent. I met him at a comedy uh festival here in Toronto a few years back before the pandemic. And I got to talk to him about chicken nuggets. He and I both like chicken nuggets. So (laughs) we had uh, a good... And you talked to Chuck D, who obviously is a major sports fan. Like, he showed up in, like, 30 for 30s and things like that. But, again, it's just, like, this is just how big and broad Charles Barkley's world is. That, like, you could talk to Conan O'Brien, Roy Wood Jr., and Chuck D., as well as coaches and other players. (laughs) And, like, this all makes sense in a Charles Barkley book or Charles Barkley life saga.
0: It all does, Sammy. I mean, in Conan's case, he talked to me for, like, two minutes just, like, strictly on Charles Barkley's eyebrows and how incredible (laughs) his eyebrows are as a comedic device. Like, it's just, yeah, and in Chuck D's case, huge basketball fan, like you said, and he's... He's a real junkie, and and he can tell you why he named Shaq Barkley and Pebble got a pause. Mm-hmm. His his It's on there. And, yeah, it just – I was always struck, and I still am um, amazed by his wide reach that Charles Barkley has had in his whole life. I mean yeah. – I never expected to interview someone like Vice President Dan Quayle for a book on Charles Barkley or a a former CEO at Publix for a book on Charles Barkley or someone like a Sheriff Joe Arpaio in Arizona, the very controversial (laughs) and racist sheriff out there about Charles Barkley. each of these people, good, bad, indifferent, uh, has been touched by Charles in one way or another. And honestly, it just blew me away how how many people he has mm-hmm. touched in his whole life. I And the, this is only a fraction of the people, too. I mean, think about some any of the stories you just don't know about so if that was a goal of my just getting as many Barkley stories as possible because um he's lived enough lives honestly for like four or five people
1: yeah that's a good way to put it yeah so last question uh this one's a bit of a difficult one so try and do your best with it but I'm curious about your thoughts on this I understand like there's people are like writing books all the time and there's editing and there's publication schedules. I understand there's all these kind of things happening in the background, but this fall we had this weird trend in sports books where your book, Barkley came out. Barkley of course did not win an NBA championship. Uh, we had Chris Herring wrote blood in the garden about the 90s 1990s, New York Knicks, which is one of the great basketball teams. Uh, it's awesome, book, too. Yeah, awesome book. Yeah. Awesome book. But again, they got to the finals, didn't close the deal. Uh, I already alluded to the top of this conversation. Jeff Perlman wrote Bo Jackson, uh, who was, again, was playing two sports and didn't win in either one of those sports. And so we've had this weird kind of trend where, like, these, these are prominent players or prominent teams, and they didn't win. And sports is really dominated by those who win. That's who we make the documentaries about. That's who we celebrate. That's who we talk about. You and I were talking about the role model thing a little bit. That's partly where that kind of comes from as well. So what do you think of this trend where we are kind of just focusing now, like for this, at least for this window of time on prominent athletes that are great, but you know, not quote unquote great. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I do think it's a coincidence in terms of just those books uh, should just (laughs) actually be in bunched together like that. But I will say I've always been interested in people who are not losers, but who have lost in big ways. I've I, and I think that's very fair to say about Charles and obviously Bo and those Knicks teams. We remember them so fondly and hmm. not, not because they lost, but the fact that they were able to just kind of take our breath away and the fact that. We still talk about these guys and these teams all these years later. I mean, would it have made that much of a difference if Charles Barkley won a championship? Would that change the way we talk about him now? It would would definitely change how much Shaq (laughs) makes fun of him each week. But, (laughs) like... Google me. Google me, Chuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. it, it but if you think about the life specifically Charles Barkley has lived, it, would it have changed that much with a championship? I don't think it would. Mm-hmm. Obviously I would have loved to have seen him get one, but mm-hmm. as more and more time, goes on i do think we appreciate more these people who did not win championships but who got their teams to as far as they could possibly go and still be great at the same time and i do think that's what we've got here with charles and the fact that i don't know he was in at any time all-star, two-time gold medalist who's mm-hmm. been inducted into the, the Hall of Fame three separate times. I mean, you've got this this guy who is one in a million, and you'll always talk about him just losing or not winning an NBA championship. Mm-hmm. And I do think uh, people will always be fascinated with people like Charles Barkley if they have done as much as he's done um, and the hype he has lived since playing. I, I mean, I, I think it's a no-brainer that it, 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 even if you don't win, you're always going to be enamored with that guy, Charles Barkley.
1: Yeah. All right. That's a positive point. We can leave it there. Thank you, Tim, so much. The book is called Barkley, as we've kind of said it a number of times, but the book's called Barkley. It's out now. And this was so fun. We covered Barbecue from Leeds, Alabama, uh, Loki, uh, Don Rickles, Orson Welles, <laughs> Conan O'Brien, and of course, the man himself, Charles Barkley. Like that again, just that, the, that all those things kind of fit together. Is surreal, but yet it all makes sense, and that's Charles Wade Barkley. That
0: really is a beauty of Barkley. Even if they absurd, will make sense and put a big smile on your face. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim, for like hanging out. I really do appreciate it, and thank you for the book. It was fascinating because, like, as I said, I'm old enough, so I watched Barkley play on the Sixers, and I, w- I didn't really know what happened, how they kind of. Uh, fell apart there. Like, I knew they had Dr. J. I know it was towards the end of Dr. J and, like, uh, Moses Malone and all that. And I just didn't know what happened. And, of course, I, like most people in the 90s, I love that Suns team with Thunder Dan and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? Like, that was a special NBA team. Like, another one of those, like, we were talking about the 90s Knicks. Like, that was another, like classic uh, NBA team like but again it was just Jordan's era and Jordan's time and it just was one of those unfortunate things where like even that jazz team got there twice and couldn't close the deal and that phenomenal Sonics team with Sean Kemp crashing and destroying everybody no regard for human life Uh, it was a good time of the NBA so thank you for that like nostalgia trip just to kind of go back and fill in those blanks and see what happens uh, and kind of get some distance
0: my pleasure. Yeah, it was so much fun uh, just writing this whole book and just re- living a really cool time in history, just all around NBA history. You peel off all of those names and teams and um, we're talking about some of the greatest players and teams ever. And it was just... Uh, a privilege on my to be, to be able to write about all of them and so and the other things because uh, the, that's Barkley's life right there.
1: Mm-hmm. By the way, a quick tangent: you talked to Shaq or you had some connection with Shaq and stuff. Was Shaq able to get the book to Barkley, and like, did Barkley ever get back to you, or did you ever hear back? Like, that's a like a six degrees of separation. You know what I mean? That's pretty close.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I did interview Shaq. And Shaq's mom, Lucille, who was as actually best friends with Charles, his mom, Charcy. Um, so, got both Shaq and his mom um, in interviews for this, this book itself. And uh, it, in terms of the endorsement that appears on the front cover mm-hmm. of Barkley, um, yeah, that's something I, I'm back to uh, Shaq's team. And said, "Hey, we want to do this." Or oh, he interviewed him. I was very transparent about the whole thing. I'm like, I don't have Charles on board, but he knows exactly what the book is going to be because I had reached out to Charles and his team before I interviewed a single person with an 81-page outline of the book itself and chapter by chapter breakdown. So he knew what the book was going to be years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so um, after I spoke with Shaq's team, uh, they were able to give me an endorsement from Shaq, which I'm super appreciative of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I did send uh, books to, Everyone at inside the NBA. So, if he should have copies of it now, uh, before the holidays. So, okay. we, shall see, we uh, shall see what they say. But, um, yeah, he, even if he doesn't say anything, if, that's totally fine because this whole thing has just been an honor. And in some ways, it worked out better without him, mm-hmm. uh, just because he's over that he said so much in his life. And I was able to just kind of pour through these TV interviews and radio interviews Mm -hmm. and podcasts and everything else he's done to make sure his voice is represented in there. Because uh, what good is a Charles Barkley book without Chuck himself in there?
1: True. (laughs) Your book was frustrating in a sense because... I would be reading some of the TNT stuff, for example, and then I'd be like, I got to Google this, like the police presence, right? Like in the, uh, I think it was the Rockets Clippers game. That's my favorite. Yeah, the police presence. That's my favorite, yeah. (laughs) Right? So, like, you start reading in the book, like, oh, I got to put this down. And then the San Antonio big old woman, like, I remember all these bits, right? Yeah. Uh, Putting his head under the water, I think it was David Blaine, and he wanted to see how long he could do it. Right. And Kenny on a like, fish tank. Yeah. yeah and Kenny's yeah. in the wanna... back just egging him on. And like, you know what I mean? But all that <laughs> stuff. Like, you, I start reading the book and I'm like, I got to put this down. Google this and like go back to YouTube and like pull these presents <laughs> and all that stuff. Right. And you're like, I'm just dying. Like, it's so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was something I wanted to just have fun with. And uh, because there have been some. Any of those incredible Mm -hmm. moments and being able to just kind of type out some of them, it just made me laugh the whole time, to be honest with
1: you. (laughs) All right. I've taken up a lot of your time, but congratulations to you, to anybody that helped you with the book, the editors, the transcribers, all that stuff. High five to you and the team. So thank you so much for the book.
0: Thank you, Sammy.
1: Yo, what are you saying? That was Timothy Bella, a staff writer for the Washington Post, and his highly recommended book is Barkley, A Biography. I'm Sam Yunin, host of My Summer Lair. You gotta admit it, that was a fun interview. Every day, there are creators and podcasters like myself who are putting the time in and could use the encouraging boost of a positive comment. This isn't limited to just me, but if you have something nice to say, please leave a comment, or how about a rating? Trust me. The creators in your life will appreciate it. Don't be stingy with love, yo. I'm going to close with a trick question. How many words is police presence? If you're Charles Barkley, it's three words. Police presence. Inside the NBA doesn't do this as much, but they would take brief and often hilarious moments from the show as audio and then set it to a 70s-style Fat Albert cartoon. This is the cartoon audio of the police presence. It can... It kills me every time. It's ridiculous, like that you can watch an NBA show and end up with this wild comedy bit. is incredible. I don't take any of this for granted. I'm so grateful.
0: Does the uh, does the Clippers against the Rockets ring a bell? What happened at the end of that game when it oh, was the, over? Uh, the they uh, the, the locker room incident. Ah, uh-huh! <laughs> audio tune. Uh oh. Emotional, chippy game, and it did spill over into the hallways. The team is gone, they've all headed to the bus. Actually, outside of their team bus, there is a police presence just to make sure that nothing else develops or escalates. Hello, police. Chris Paul trying to beat me up. <laughs>
1: this is hey, this is Blake Griffin. Chris Paul trying to get in the locker room, get down here and save me. Hey. Hey, this is oh, yeah. trying to get in the, I, I,
0: I certainly I, doubt that it was <laughs> players who were requesting anything. Somebody had to call a <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Two guys who would relish guys coming in and locker room. man. I played in the NBA for 16 years and I've been on the on TV for 18 years. This is the first time I ever heard police presence. <laughs> they got
1: wait. They got a police presence? Are you kidding me?
0: Nobody was trying to get Patrick Nobody Beverly. Nobody was trying to get Patrick Beverly. <laughs> you Chris <I know>. <laughs> Paul
1: was trying to get <laughs> to Patrick
0: Beverly. <laughs> 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 Patrick <laughs> Beverly for real.
1: Uh. I'll post a video on the show notes for this episode at mysummerlayer.com. <laughs> Police presence. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for listening to me in a Barkley world. Police presence, yo.